Hello there, and welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man does. Please enjoy this teaching and feel free to share it with all who will listen. May you go forth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. According to the Bible, the appointed time has grown very short. 1 Corinthians 7.29, Jesus calls us to watch for his return. Why is that? For you know neither the day nor the hour his return is coming. And we don't. We look for signs and we see the earthquakes that are happening now in Turkey and Syria and everywhere all over the world. And the Bible tells us that we'll, there will be rumours of wars and all these things will happen. But we still don't know. However, in Matthew 25:13, Christ's return is imminent and his timeline makes us urgent. And given the urgency of the time, how then shall we live? And should we live? It's a question every generation of Christians has asked. And we still keep asking. We don't know what today, what tomorrow brings. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. So we have to act now, don't we? We have to understand the parables. And parables are like that. Sometimes the people of God are portrayed as the bride. Sometimes they are portrayed as those preparing for marriage. <coughs> if you press the details of parables, everything goes haywire in the New Testament. The main point is here is people of God have been in, instructed about how to get ready to meet the bridegroom. <laughs> Parables are meant to communicate one main point. And the main point is people of God being instructed about how to get ready to meet the bridegroom. The bride doesn't even show up in, the, in this parable. But we may often collapse it into other teachings and say, okay, we treat this as the bride, even though they are ten virgins. These are from Matthew 25. Even though there are ten virgins leading the bridegroom into the bride, bridal chamber. So don't stumble over these details. Go for the main central thing. Matthew 25, 2-4, five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. All ten of them had a job to do. They all had lamps, and the lamps were supposed to be ready, ignited when he comes as the light. Prepare the way for the Lord. In Matthew 3 3, quoting Isaiah 43, He is coming, light your lamps, lead him in. This is their job, and this is a job that we have to do also. 
these ten women have a job to do and they are supposed to be ready to do it. That's the situation that they're in. Oil in the lamps is part of the means by which they get their job done. If they don't have oil for their lamps, they're neglecting the means appointed for them to do their work. They are supposed to shine with light. The five fools, five of them are foolish. They are not taken seriously. They're calling to give light. Are we taking our calling seriously? Serious enough to go and witness and to bring people to church, to tell the world, even as far as Barbados? Are we, are we fulfilling that and telling people everywhere we go? They are neglecting their only means by which their lamps can do any good. What good is a lamp with no oil to burn so we can make light? Their job was to provide light when he, when he came. If they go out, what use are they? They liked their position. They could have walked away from it, but they liked being lamp carriers. They had a lamp, but had no attention to its em emptiness. Their foolishness was to think that mere religion form was sufficient. And their foolishness was to think that power for the light could be borrowed in the last minute. We have to prepare ourselves. We hear it all the time, church. Have you heard or spoken to someone who has said, I will wait to get saved or to come to church when they're ready? We've heard it so many times. They'll never be ready. We have to prepare for a delay, for something to go wrong. In 20, Matthew 25, 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And notice two things here. Jesus tells us ahead of time, there is going to be a delay between the comings. This has been a stumbling block for over 2,000 years about Jesus' return. Remember, though, how Peter dealt with this in his second letter. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4, and then he responds, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. 
two days had passed since Jesus had left, since he had left the Lord. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, is patient towards us. It has to be, really, with us. Mm. Not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. How many times have we shared that scripture with someone? We still have that blank look when we're telling them that. Jesus told us in advance there would be a, a delay. Another important message there as well. We need to get some sleep. We need to rest. We all need rest, but we all need to sleep. All Notice that all ten virgins slept, not just the foolish, which means that sleep in this parable is not negative. <clears throat> I know it says you don't know the day or the hour when he comes, but we do need to sleep, to rest. The wise virgin slept, which meant that sleep signifies normal day-to-day -day life of doing what we do and then sleeping when we're tired. We are all the same. We go to work, then rest. We go back to work, we rest. They all slept. That means God expects us to rest after our work. We do our duty, and we get some rest. But that's what we need to do. We all need to go to work, we know that. We all need to rest, we know that as well. Do you know what, what, what? Sorry. <laughs> Do you know what watch means? Go to bed at 10 instead of 12. That's what it means. Because if you don't, you'll be sluggish spiritually in the morning. And then the devil will keep you in bed longer. So you, can't have, you haven't got enough time to read the Bible, to do your devotions, to pray. It takes that away from you. Watch means be vigilant, be alert, go to work, do your day-to-day -day things in life, but stay attuned to God and be in the Word without falling asleep. We have to make time for that and get our rest when it's appropriate for us. It's no good as reading the Bible, or your devotionals or praying, and you're falling asleep while you're doing it. You have to be attentive to the word and take take in what's what you're reading, what the message is. It affects each of us in different ways, and the messages are clear for us all. We have we have to work well. 
how do you do your devotions, your reading, your prayers, without falling asleep or being inter interrupted? Or we turn off our tellies, we turn off our phones, our laptops, shut the door, go into a quiet room. That's how we should get some rest first. That's why I do mine first in the morning before anybody else gets up in the house. I'm not disturbed. My appointed time with me and God. And that's works for me. <coughs> this text is about living sober, ordinary, daily, performing lives, so that when he comes, he will find you. So doing, what do, what do you want to be found doing? when he comes staring into the sky saying deliver me loving a sick person in the pulpit preaching God's word hopefully we might be found doing his, the works of righteousness when he comes and then sleeping after a nice hard day, day at work which we've done well now that would be a nice way to meet him. Matthew 25, 6. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now relate that to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Here he says the cry goes out. He is here. Go meet him. Let your lamps burn brightly with life, with joy, with faith, with hope, love, and an expectancy. Praise with wonder, and with marvel this is going to happen church Jesus is going to come back someday when we don't know but are we ready are you ready do you have oil in the form of your religion your life, your faith, hope, love or are you just carrying your formal lamp around with you and saying, well, I go to church, I carry a Bible, I pray before meals, I try to keep Ten Commandments, but inside there's nothing of spiritual affections. We know too many people like this. For God, for spiritual affections for God, with no love for the bridegroom an intense expectancy that is going to be better when he comes a better life than you or I have ever experienced better than the best food or holiday or better than the best success you've ever had that's what he promises us Are you ready to serve church and make a difference in this life for others? 
and for yourselves. There is no way we can become like Jesus without the willingness to serve. You have to want to do that. It's a matter of life and death, isn't it? Our church gets smaller and smaller. Not just our church, all over the world the churches are getting smaller. They're turning to their own religion and following that way. This does not mean that you let others control what you do, but rather that your actions are controlled by the desire to serve God and others. There was a man born in Nottingham. His family lost their entire fortune due to his father's bad investments. Both parents died at a young age. He became a Methodist minister and evangelist. He requested an appointment as a full-time evangelist, but refused three times. He resigned from the Methodist church and was barred from speaking in any Methodist church. He held revivals with a message of repentance and personal holiness. Establishes the Christian Revival Society, which would later be called the Christian Mission. The missionary reached out to the, the poorest and most needed, needy with a focus on alcoholics, criminals, prostitutes. Pioneered social ministry by starting up soup kitchens across London and throughout England. Work begins to spread throughout the British Empire and the United States. Then he writes a best-selling book in darkest England about the plight of the poor. Social ministry continues to expand with homeless shelters, clinics and schools. Today, the lives of people around the world are touched because of the work of this man. William Booth was beyond a doubt a servant of Christ and had a servant's heart. David's nodding, he's obviously heard of him. Writers of the epistles often in introduce themselves as servants. In Jude, in James, in Peter, Paul, in Romans, Colossians, and Titus. In Colossians, it says, the servant of the cross. In Ephesians, he's a servant of the gospel. In Galatians, he's a servant of Christ. All through. We have to be the same, we have to be servants. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And we we don't especially non believers, when you try and tell those he was king. But he didn't come to serve, to be served. He came to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. It's in Mark 10, 45. 
There is no way to become like Jesus without the willingness to serve. This does not mean that you let others control what you do, but, what, but rather that your actions are controlled by the desire to serve God and to serve others. Have we got that willingness inside of us this morning? Can we go out and make a difference in someone's life with that willingness to serve them, to help them? Security is nothing more than freedom from fear or anxiety. Many Christians are incredibly anxious about serving in ministry or taking a leadership position. We ought to feel privileged to be doing the job that you called us to do. In the last two weeks, as you all, most of us know that I've been up here, and it's, it is, it's a privilege to be able to get deeper again into God's work and into his word, his work and his word, so that we can share with everybody else. It impacts me more, more when I'm reading all these time and time again and going over them time and time again. And you do, you, you feel... You're so privileged to be able to get up here and do it. And I keep joking with Ted, not about the gospel, but you should be coming up here now and preaching and teaching and everything, don't it, Ted? And it is because it grows you as a person, a person in Christ, because you're forced to go out and study more and work more in it to find that teaching. So I encourage all of you to do it volunteer more to do more things for the church not just for family members we all do that anyway if your son or daughter or husband, wife boyfriend, girlfriend comes to you you help them as much as you can what rewards that for God we're always nice to our family Jesus had a divine position but he never used his authority against people Jesus had a divine mission and he never stepped away from it Jesus had a divine plan and he never forgot to submit it submit to it sorry what does it mean to be a servant? Two major Greek words used to describe servants are dulio, to serve as a slave. Greek words often carry an additional meaning. This is amplified by the rest of the text. Many times the understanding of the word serve implies a form of submission. We have to. Terry will get the better of you. Especially as, as men, when there's a good game of football on. Well, not so much me, because I'm in Everton. But 
put this good game of football on a good film we'll watch that first and then we'll, we'll do some more reading and studying well, the music's on in the background and we'll do that first but then he won't you won't get back to into reading because you're tired, you want to go to bed you've got work, you've got to go out with the children and the family and he soon slips away Implication is a form of bonded service, a willing submission to a master. To be a servant of Christ, we must first be willing to submit to his will and his direction. The understanding of being a servant is that personal desires are surrendered to pursue the desire of the master Jesus is the master we are the servants Jesus is the rabbi we are the disciples what are some of the things that servants are called to sacrifice our time our time spent with him with God with one another, with other Christians, in fellowship, in worship, in serving others. Our efforts, what all you do, do wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Everything that we do at work, at home, especially at church and to other Christians, to the saints of God. Everything wholeheartedly. Not give 10% or 20%. Give 100% of your efforts, your talent. We all have different talents. We've all been gifted these. We have to use them wisely. You put all of them together, your time, your effort, and your talents. Give 100% use of everything that we have to serve God. Our will. You have to be willing to do it wholeheartedly again. We won't do it. You all, you all know I used to run football teams and that willingness has to be there. If you can't give 100% on that field, you won't, you're not going to do well. It's like anything, your marriage, your work, anything. If you don't give 100% and you're willing to try harder. Like Ben said, you know, and I'm not boasting, but because I wanted to get more and more out of this and I've put everything in there and God works with you then because of that willingness we have so many resources available to us through our church through our pastor through each and every one of you here that all of you have had something to give and to share with one another secondly diakoni to serve or to minister where we get our English term deacon 
there is a, a direct connection between the word serve and the word minister. The entire church is called to minister to the needs of others. Each and every one of us. Ministry is the job of the entire church, not just the job of the minister. Being a servant always means some sort of sacrifice or submission. Think about these terms used for leaders of the church in the New Testament. These words are related to several other words we use in the church. A pastor or a shepherd. A minister or a servant. A preacher to share or proclaim the good news. Each of us can do those. Especially here because we're encouraged to we're encouraged to do it weekly, daily. That's why we have our rotor and we take to Linda with our availability and you know, if we can preach, if we can do anything to do with the church. And the more we can do, the better it is for everybody else. The more people help out, there's less work for one person. And that's what it's about helping one another. <clears throat> there can be no mistake that Christians are called to serve Christ. Servants help meet the needs of others. Slaves meet the wants of others. To be a servant, your life must belong to Jesus. To be a servant, you must give up your desires. Service means moving beyond self to embrace the Lordship of Christ. Do not be content with merely making Jesus your Saviour. Make him your Lord. Yeah? We all got baptised in Jesus' name, or most of us got baptised in Jesus' name, gave our life to Jesus, and that was it. And people then, they think, that's it, I've made it, I've done what I've had to do, I've ticked that box, and then it stops. That is just the beginning. We give our lives to Jesus, we're baptised, you're filled with that Holy Spirit, that gift given to us for free. We was to share with as many people as you can. And bring as many people as you want to the Lord the same way as you were. And that's what we have to do, church. Wednesday night we were sharing and once again our testimonies, absolutely brilliant. And some of the stories are here again. Fantastic. It's brilliant, it's lovely to hear them all. And we have to move on from those as well. Yes, share them with new believers as well. we'll put something in place there for those. Tell them how you got saved. Bring them to see if we can make a difference in their lives. For the rich, for the poor. For uneducated, over-educated. 
dropping them all is for everybody. Some questions for your church. Is Jesus the Lord of your church life? Is he the one who makes a difference for you this morning? Your day-to-day plan? Your yearly plan? You should be involved in every part of your life. Every part. Is is Jesus the the Lord of your work life? Do you forget about him when you're at work? Do you carry on sharing what God has done for you? On a day-to-day basis? You're not there. Yes, we all go to work and... We are. Jesus, God, he gives us those talents to do that job that we're doing. God gives the increase on everything that we do. At work, at home, in church. Is Jesus the Lord of your family life? Do you include him in your family? Do you tell your family what you're doing? for the church, for God? Do we share the gospel with them? Or do we we just shut up, not say a word, and then hopefully they don't ask you nothing? We have two little grandchildren. They stayed with us this weekend, on Thursday. They stayed with us, sorry, from Thursday. When Caden came down, he said, where's granddad? He says, and Louis said, he's gone to work. He says, but he hasn't took his Bible. He says he doesn't always take his Bible to work with him, Caden. And he says, doesn't he? He does now. Well, Caden's seven, but Caden and Primrose are both now how important that Bible is to me. And I talk to him about it all the time. And it's just me, but I don't put my Bible on the floor. Or, or, you know, I have to, so people can walk all over it and that. It's just, just, that's me. But they know that it doesn't go on the floor, so they put it away for me. I left it on the arm of the chair. So I thought I'd share that because it's important that these children, they know as well the importance of it and sharing the gospel with them from an early age. They have to. Is Jesus the Lord Lord of your private life? Away from the church. Away from your home life even. But do you continue to share that with other people? Your your other friends out of the church and out of work. The example of Jesus and servanthood. Jesus is the ultimate example of servanthood. There's no greater model of service than Jesus. And Paul addresses this fact in Philippians chapter 2. I've read it so many times. But then when you read it, when you're doing a sermon about it, it just hits you even more. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness he could have had anything and everything he wanted in heaven well he had everything everything his heart desired could have had anything he wanted and he chose to come and live with these football fans down here you and me with us human mankind and we, we can stop and think well what was he thinking about there then you know we would but he gave up that up for me for, for all of us here notice just some of the ways that Jesus models and sets the example for servanthood the attitude you watched once again the football I'm sorry if I keep going back to the football but the attitude has got to be right when you're playing your will's got to be there and your passion's got to be there but your attitude has got to be right if it's not right then nothing will be right with it and that attitude goes on to other people as well on the football in church if your attitude is not right in church that spreads out to others as well around you that, you can have a negative attitude from that and also your family life then and then the people you talk to about Christ just continues Jesus had the attitude of a servant from the moment he stepped out of heaven and onto earth the moment when he passed from a divine existence to a mortal human being his existence revealed the depth of his attitude Jesus possessed an amazing attitude in many different ways Jesus reached out to people who would not listen who would not believe Jesus he would not be swayed he taught his disciples who were absorbed with their own selfish agendas he wouldn't be swayed they must have thought of him has been different, haven't they? To say, come and follow me, and they came. Jesus believed in people even when they didn't or they couldn't believe in, them, in themselves. That's hard, isn't it? I can't believe in myself. Yet I want to make people believe in me and what I've been saying. Well, Jesus believed in those people. Jesus saw Peter as the rock when he was nothing but a pebble. He saw potential in Matthew when he was a hated tax collector. He reached out to the, to the legalistic 
like Nicodemus, as a social outcast, like Zacharias, Jesus saw potential in everyone. And it takes an incredible attitude to keep moving on when people do not change. <clears throat> Jesus did not come for himself, he came for us. His goal was not to set up an earthly kingdom, but to save a dying one. Jesus came with an attitude that simply could not be stopped. His humility. Jesus came to earth to and humbled himself to lift us up. He became like us so we could become like him. He allowed himself to endure hardship, frustrations and pain so we could have peace, have power, have grace. Make no mistake, Jesus came to give us something we could not gain on our own. Jesus entered this finite word, world for the sole purpose of saving us. Jesus became a part of the world he created for us to understand the depth of God's love. <coughs> Jesus came down to our level to show us the power of redemption. He gave up his rights, his rights in heaven. He gave us his rights to become human. He gave up the right of praise. Jesus gave up the right to be in the full presence of God. He gave up the right to divine fullness. Jesus was confined to a human body and where a human body could, could dwell, where a human body could dwell, Jesus had been able to be everywhere at all times. But he gave up all that to become flesh. He lived out many years as a child with no rights, no freedom. He surrendered. Jesus gave the ultimate act of service when he endured the, endured the humility of the cross. There was no greater act of service than this. Jesus willingly gave up the life that he humbled himself to become for the chance of humility, humanity, finding freedom from the power of sin. Greatness comes from serving. In Mark 9.33, service may require us to humble ourselves, but it is a humility that leads to greatness. There are times when the teaching, teachings of Jesus make little sense to our human mind, and this is one of them.
Our human nature strives for honour, recognition and achievement. The thinking is that we have to climb the ladder of success to accomplish these things. Jesus says that in order to be great, we must lower ourselves. In order to rise, we must be willing to descend. The only way that Jesus says we can actually achieve greatness is to give up the, the, the pursuit of self-exaltation. Exaltation. Only when we give up the quest for greatness in our own abilities that we find greatness in Christ. Could it be that we are not achieving greater things for Christ because we are pursuing our own desires? Are we losing out on extra blessings because we are centered on our personal agendas? Servanthood requires loyalty. Luke 16:13. Jesus makes it clear that there can only be one master. The illustration he gives us is focused on materialism. No one can love both God and money. There are many other things that can disrupt our walk with Christ. The issue is one of loyalty. Christ expects his people to be loyal to him and to the kingdom. The issue of loyalty plays out in every area of life. Is, is Jesus the Lord of your whole life or just parts of your life where you think it fits best? But I don't want those people to know that are close friends. Servanthood requires readiness. Luke 12, 35 to 40. Servants need to be ready to do the will of the master at any time. In season and out of season. Most Christians, they make time for Christ and it fits their schedule. When they're ready to. I've got time to do it now. Readiness is not a priority to many because they falsely believe that they have all the time in the world. We must be ready for Christ to call, to stand up when the time comes to be counted. We need to be ready at all times because we never know when we will get the call of the Master. We're not promised tomorrow even. We need to be ready when Christ is ready for us to serve. So church this morning, are we ready to serve God, to serve him as Lord? Are we ready to humble ourselves to other people, to take this out into Hales Owen, to our neighborhood, to the world? Or are we just going to sit on our laurels and get fat on the word again? We have to move. We have to do something out of our comfort zone. We have to do it now.
we can't wait to appointed time because we don't know when that is. So we have to back now, church. Thank you for listening. Well